When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From movie set to multiplex, it's the business of film with James Cameron Wilson. They're here. Pardon me, boy. Is this the Transylvania station? Yeah, yeah. Track 29. I'm the dude. Play it, Sam. Play as time goes by. Oh, I've gone all misty-eyed. This is uh, Simon Rose here. And you're listening to The Business of Film, where we were listening to amongst others, Ingrid Bergman there, from my favourite, favourite movie of all time, Casablanca. But we're not going to be talking about Casablanca, we're going to talk about all the latest movies in the box office chart, because James Cameron Wilson is here. So last week you said box office was absolutely appalling, but Black Adam was going to open and it was all going to be rescued by Dwayne Johnson. Is that the case? (laughs) Well, the box office has gone up at last, having been going down Mm. every weekend for the last month it has gone up by 25.4 percent which is actually up 8.5 from the average for this time of year Mm. however just to be realistic it is down from the same period by almost 30 percent but we thought will Dwayne Johnson be able to rescue the world cinema, not just mm. the UK, yeah, not yeah. just, I mean, it's done really well in Indonesia. And indeed, it did make £5.6 million. Pounds. That's more than a million pounds every day since it opened in the UK. That is the highest take since Thor, Love and Thunder, back in early July. And it's the sixth highest opening title from the DC Extended Universe. So Dwayne has done what he does best. And he, well, he's a, he's a box office titan. So I did go to see Black Adam. And I'd like to warn you that in spite of the 12A certificate, there are a lot of truncated limbs in the film. I suppose because this is a big budget fantasy, we are allowed such mm. bodily carnage. After all, children have grown up with such things, with their video game exposure. And Black Adam does resemble a video game, although it's a spin-off of DC Films' Shazam, which I really quite enjoyed. Yes, I enjoyed Shazam, yes. And and it was funny. Not so Black Adam, which is the yang to the yin of Shazam, being a dark, tedious CGI plod. It seems a waste of Dwayne Johnson's talent, At one point, his massive musculature is digitally reduced to relatively normal size, and his carefree humour is expunged. This was meant to be the saviour of the autumnal box office, thanks to the commercial appeal of Dwayne Johnson. But it's not really a Dwayne Johnson movie. His films have done so well because of their spectacle, action and humour. And there's very little humour here, as The Rock adopts a very serious growl 
much like Schwarzenegger in the early Terminator films. This is a guy you don't want to mess with. There are some feeble attempts at humour, poking fun at his habit of dragging the bad guys high above the city before dropping them to their doom. But it's not really witty. Adam keeps on telling us, I am not a hero. Even so, the film, with an American take of $67 million last weekend, has become The Rock's biggest US hit so far as a leading man, with an international gross of $153 million so far. It's already made more than $13.5 million than Shazam. So I think, sadly, we're going, going to be seeing a lot more of Black Adam. Warner Brothers were hoping for an additional wheel to their DC extended universe to add alongside Batman, Wonder Woman and Superman to compete against the money-making superheroes of Disney's Marvel catalogue. It does start fairly promisingly, if only because of the astonishing recreation of an ancient world where thousands of slaves are forced to mine for an elusive mineral with magical powers called Eternium. When a slave does unearth a sizable chunk of the precious stone, he is encouraged to ask for his reward, and so is hurled off a precipitous cliff while the stone is turned into a priceless crown for the ruthless leader Arcton, which will bestow him with unlimited powers. But things go pear-shaped very quickly, and to cut a long story short, the film cuts to the present day, where the very kingdom has now been under a military dictatorship for the last 27 years. So not much has changed then, and the poor populace of Kandak are desperately in need of a hero, someone like Superman or Batman. Instead, they get Black Adam, who is not interested in saving what remains of his homeland and is more bent on revenge. I should add, he's about 5,000 years old. In fact, he proves so destructive that the Justice Society is called in by Viola Davis to take him down. And they are made up of Hawkman, Cyclone, Atom Smasher and Dr. Fate, the last named played by a debonair Pierce Brosnan who can fly and vanish into thin air. This gang is obviously meant to be Warner Brothers' version of the assembled Avengers, but they're a pretty weak, uninteresting lot. And their combined powers prove no match for Black Adam, who tosses aside helicopters with nonchalant disdain and can catch a rocket in one hand. He is indestructible. So what is the point? Inevitably, then, the scriptwriters have to rustle up a nemesis with even greater CGI stretching powers. As I say, it's just like a video game. It's not a Dwayne Johnson movie. I think audiences probably went to see it because of his name and because of the spectacle. Maybe he's a huge draw in comics. I, I wasn't aware of him before this film came out, but I'm not a huge comic book fan. Not no, nor I've never heard of Black Adam. No, no I prefer I don't Black Adam. Oh, yes, yes. Black Adam, yes. Black Adam, no. Yes. Okay, Jane. So that's number one in the chart. I mean, it's helped the box office, but I can't have any 5.6 million. Doesn't sound a massive amount if if people are going to come out and tell people they don't think it's worth going to. We'll see. We'll see. Well, the people I know who have seen it have been very, very disappointed. And mm. I'm talking about the younger generation. Mm. Anyway, yes. um, I am very. Sorry, I've just suddenly realised I've now got to the age where I can talk about younger generations. 
Gosh, that's rather <laughs> depressing. <laughs> okay, so James, what now? Well, I am surprised at the film that was at number two because when I went to see it at my local multiplex, it was packed. And I wouldn't have said this was a real crowd pleaser. It was a Simon Rose pleaser, and it's called The Banshees of Inisherin, oh. which made £1.6 million at the UK Gosh, box I'm office. delighted, though I think I can guess why. Well, it made a lot of money in Ireland, and the Comscore uh, data does mm. include Ireland. Why do you think why? I think because it is written and directed by the man who made In Bruges with the same leading cast. And I think In Bruges is a film that almost everybody I know has now seen at some stage. And when my kids eventually saw it and were raving about it, I think people are hoping for more of the same. That would be my guess anyway. Okay, well, having seen the film, I don't think it's a crowd pleaser. It's not really... I'm, I'm thrilled that it was at my local multiplex and I didn't think it would turn up. But even the title, The Banshees of Inisherin, is not really that sexy to a mainstream audience. But mm -hmm. anyway, before you ask, a banshee is a female spirit who warns of an imminent death, at least in Irish folklore. And Inisherin is a fictitious island off the coast of Ireland, a startlingly beautiful place, which to me recalled the background of David Lean's epic classic, mm. Ryan's Daughter. Not that I'd want to live there. There's one gloomy pub, a church, and <laughs> yes. a small shop, and that's it. But for Padraig, it is his life, along with his best friend and drinking buddy, Colm, his sister, Siobhan, and his miniature donkey, Jenny, who he lets roam around his house. Then one day, his best friend tells him not to speak to him anymore. I don't think we've been rowing. Padraig utters like a mantra to anybody who will listen. I don't think we've been rowing. Padraig doesn't understand it. And so gradually we learn that these two Irishmen have been separated, perhaps on a whim or perhaps because of something deeper, which Padraig must come to understand. And that's all I'm going to tell you, as the beauty of the Banshees of Inisherin is how it unfolds its narrative. Yeah, At a snail's pace, it's very, very leisurely, while we are beguiled with the sights and sounds of the island, which are a treat in themselves. I will say that Colm has decided to write a piece of music that will outlive the inane conversations he has with Padraig about the contents of his pony's shite, a composition he calls The Banshees of Inisherin, a piece for violin, which was actually written by the film star, Brendan Gleeson. Gleeson plays Colm and Colin Farrell plays Padraig, both of whom negotiated a similar prickly dynamic when they starred in, as you rightly said, Martin McDonagh's In Bruges, with Gleeson the wiser elder who appreciates a bit of culture and Farrell as the slightly more limited fella. Again, both actors are at the top of their form and obviously comfortable in each other's company, as they are with the film's writer-director, who directed them in both films. It's hard to believe that this is just Martin McDonagh's fourth feature, considering the reputation he enjoys, a standing that can but increase with this bitter, tragic comedy. From the opening shot of the windswept Irish island, accompanied by the sound of a choir on the soundtrack, one senses immediately that this is a filmmaker in command of his art. And yet McDonough first made his mark as a prolific and acclaimed playwright before adopting what he now considers his preferred medium. My only regret 
is that he makes so few films. It's been nearly five mm. years since his last one, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, which garnered him Oscar nominations for Best Picture and Best Screenplay, and which won acting trophies for its stars, Francis McDormand and Sam Rockwell. Colin Farrell is already being touted as the man to beat in next year's Oscar race, with, according to Variety, only Brendan Fraser as a viable rival (laughs) in The the Whale, which has received ecstatic reviews and standing ovations. Mm. And the other Brendan, Gleeson, is the favourite to win Best Supporting Actor next year, again, according to Variety, which leaves Kerry Condon as Padraig's sister, Siobhan, who shares a bedroom with her brother and brings a welcome air of common sense to the narrative and who sees no future for herself on the island, perhaps best known for her role as Stacy in something called Better Call Saul. Condon has been bubbling away beneath the surface for many years and here equals both her leading men with raw intensity and credibility. Mm. I think she's fabulous. It's a beautifully made piece, and that in itself should be sufficient to appreciate it. But it's also very funny in a very bleak way, with the simplest line of dialogue and throwaway shot, reaping comic and dramatic dividends. It's not, as I say, a crowd pleaser, but the audience I was with, and it was a big audience, were chuckling away. And it does take its own sweet time. But the mood it builds is one that is hard to shake off. And it will cling to you days afterwards. What it shows is the damage a casual mark can make. And McDonough being the superb wordsmith he is, he has enormous fun with the language. As is is his brother. I mean, I love movies like The Guard. Um, I agree agree with you. I think In Bruges was a film that was made almost as an art house movie that just everybody seemed to enjoy. This, I suspect, not everybody who goes to it will quite know what to make of it. It is definitely an art house film. And I mean, all I can think of describing is, like you, I don't want to say too much about what happens, is don't even watch a trailer. Just go, because it's the joy is not, you never quite know what's going to come next. I thought the cinematography from Ben Davis was absolutely out of this world. I mean, so beautiful. To me, it's like a cross between uh, Jean de Florette, I Know Where I'm Going, and Father Ted. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just extraordinary. Uh, Venice has had a 14-minute standing ovation. I'm not quite sure why a 14-minute standing ovation. I mean, it's a, it's a good film, but I don't think it's necessarily... 14. 14 minutes, apparently. Wow, yes. gosh. Quite, you, you sort of wonder why. But uh, it'll be interesting to see whether it holds up and whether people will go back and see it and recommending in the way they did with Imbruge. I, th- I think it's the best thing Colin Farrell has done performance-wise. Yes, I agree. Though, I mean, how can you decide who's the leading simple. actor and who's the supporting actor in this film? Colin Farrell has more screen time. It's his, yeah. his story. Okay. All right. And Brendan Gleeson does disappear for bits. Yes. But I think if Brendan Gleeson, as Variety says, is going to win the Oscar for this, he will do it as best supporting actor. Yeah. This is what cinema should be. I mean, okay, a lot of films are just going to be crowd pleasers, but this sort of thing is just, a, a, you know, an extraordinary experience. You you wouldn't see this in any other sort of art form. No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't. Well, that's number two. Oh, gosh, James, I hadn't realised the time. I was so interested in hearing about it. I think we'd better take a, a, a break. I apologise. You, you've been captivating me so much. I've not been paying <laughs> attention. Here we go. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Sharing ideas about money. This is Share Radio. This is Simon Rose. You're listening to The Business of Film, where James Cameron Wilson and I have just been talking about the Banshees of Insurance, which I think I can safely say, James, we recommend to almost anybody who likes good cinema. Uh, yes, yes. And I, I wish I could say the same for the film at number three, Lyle, Lyle, Crocodile, which is about a singing crocodile in New York, which I'm not duly upset that it's plummeted 48% in its uh, third weekend, now with a total of 4.9 million and starring Javier Bardem. At number four, we've got the awful smile, which was at number three, down 30%. With Sosie Bacon, who I will say I think has a future, who is the daughter of Cara Sedgwick and Kevin Mm -hmm. Bacon. It's now got a total of 9 million quid. Number five, Halloween Ends. Yay, down 67%. It was at number two. It's got a total of 3.7 million, which is actually ahead of last year's Halloween kills at the same time, which is a bit worrying. But even, I mean, a 67% drop is not good news for anybody. And it is Halloween. No. Uh, yes. Time. Yes. Anyway, we have a new film at number six, Decision to Leave from South Korea, which is a, a romantic policia from Park Chan-wook director of Old Boy and The Handmaiden, which got very good reviews, and it hasn't come anywhere near me, I'm sorry to say. Maybe I'll catch up with it on DVD. We have at number seven, Ticket to Paradise, with Julia Roberts and George Clooney, which is a real disappointment, which was at number four, down 39%, with a total of £8.6 million. Number eight, very disappointing, The Woman King, which was at number six, down 52% for a mere total of three million. And this is a true story of a a tribe, a West African tribe who started really fighting their neighbours in the 1600s, right up until the 20th century. Quite an extraordinary story. Not amazingly well told, I'm afraid. I just wasn't engaged with the leading lady played by Viola Davis. Number nine, we've got Don't Worry, Darling, which was at number five, which is not bad. Uh, for £10 million total, down 54%. Uh, again, Florence Pugh, amazing performance. At number 10, we've got Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris with Leslie Manville, which was at number 7, down 46%, which I enjoyed. It's not a great film. It's a bit whimsical for me, with a total of £3.9 million. But I would like to mention two films, because I think they're so good, and they're still in the charts. Emily the story of Emily Bronte, directed mm-hmm. by Frances O'Connor, the Australian actress, is at number 13, which the entire total made £607,000. And I'm telling everybody to see it because I think it's the best film in the top 15. I think it's even better than The Banshees of Inner Sharon. I think it will appeal Ooh, to a wider okay. audience. And Emma Mackey is so good. And also I'd like to point out The Lost King at number 14, which has now got a total of 1.2 million, which is the story of the woman who goes in search mm. of the body of Richard III. 
played by Sally Hawkins. And I've noticed looking at the chart that it's very female centric because we've got Sally Hawkins, we've got Emma Mackey, we've got Leslie Manville, Florence Pugh, Viola mm. Davis, Julia Roberts. And even in the horror films, they're both starring women, mm. Jamie Lee Curtis and Sosie Bacon. And it's a shame that the box office is not doing so so well, considering of really strong female roles. And the two really big box office films are, are both very male-centric, Black yes. Adam and The Banshees of Yes, Michelle. certainly. The Last King's dropped quite quickly, hasn't it? I've forgotten. It, it I was has. going to try and go to see that. You, you rather liked that. Now, yes. I'm going to break the rules this week, but for good reason. Mm. Next week is so congested with new films, both at the cinema and online, that it seems a shame to let a good one slip by when I can actually spotlight it now. In fact, next week I will be talking about a new Swedish film that is perhaps the best yet from its director, Lasse Hallström, who with titles like My Life as a Dog, mm. What's Eating Ilbert Grape, the Cider House Rules and Chocolat is the veteran past master Swedish director working today. However, it is a cruel twist of fate that the very day his new film, his best, Hilma, which I will re review next week, opens, it clashes with the opening of this year's Palm Door winner, Triangle of Sadness, arguably the magnum opus of Sweden's other great director, Ruben Erstlund. It is the time of year, of course, when distributors are wheeling out what they hope will be their major contenders for next year's Oscar ceremony on March the 12th. Ursland's Triangle of Sadness is less the sort of film to be embraced by the Academy, although it is every bit as dark and exotic and quirky as Bong Joon-ho's Parasite, except it's even better and it's even more relevant. All I knew about the film going in was that it had won the Palm Door and was written and directed by Ursland. Of course, Ursland is no stranger to Cannes. His 2014 film Force Majeure won the jury prize at the festival and his 2017 film The Square also won the Palm Door. He really is giving Lassie Hallstrom a run for his money. I should explain that the triangle of sadness is that space between the eyebrows that can register fear, annoyance, or even arrogance, depending on how you wiggle your forehead, and is technically, 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 technically known as the glabella, notably prominent on Leonardo DiCaprio, star of What's Eating Gilbert Grape. For certain top male models, it is imperative that they exercise their triangle of sadness so as to look down on the consumer, whereas cheap brands like H&M encourage a happier, cheaper look. In the square, Usland took apart the art world and now zeroes in on fashion with scalpel-sharp satire. When our protagonist, Carl Harris Dickinson, last seen playing Richard Attenborough in See How They Run, a very different role, comes in for an audition, there is an unexplained Boston Terrier wandering around in the background. It never, it's never referred to, but because it is even there, it gives the sense a sense of spontaneity and oddness, much like the unexplained chimpanzee in the square. Real life is full of such random distractions, distractions you would never find in a mainstream Hollywood film. Why the films of Ruben Erstlund work so well is that they are very naturalistic. Thus, the viewer is lulled into a full sense of security before the director pulls the rug out from beneath their feet. 
after the fashion show, which is it's expensive out of this world glitz, the movie cuts to a more mundane scene where our protagonist, Carl, and his girlfriend, Yaya, Charlie Dean, start arguing about the bill, which really brings you down to earth. And you just never know where the film is going. And like the Banshees of uh, Erin Sherman, uh, don't watch the trailer. This is very dark. It's very unexpected. It's particularly a poignant that the South African actress and model, Shelby Dean, who was engaged to be married, died two months ago in New York, aged just 32. And when you see the film, it makes it even more poignant. And I haven't told you anything about it, but it won the Palm Door for good reason. Yes, and where is where is we going to be able to see this? So you're in you're selected ahead. cinemas, certain cinemas, art house cinemas. It goes streaming, I think, early the first week in December. But okay. because there were so many films things. opening next week, yeah. I, I just thought it was amazing. And Ruben Östlund is one of my favourite directors. He's just so different, and he's so masterly as well. James, thank you very much indeed. That last one was Triangle of Sadness. Look out for that. And as James and I would say, look out for the Banshees in a share. And though James says that uh, he thinks actually Emily is even better. So uh, perhaps I should go and see that then. James, thank you very much indeed. That's it, though, for this edition of The Business of Film. We'll be back with more at the same time next week. We all go a little mad sometimes. Take your sticking paws off me, you damn dirty ape! We rob banks. I'll be back. <laughs> <laughs>